Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome back, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the inflation numbers and what they mean for mortgage rates. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here on Inflation Day, Sarah. (laughs) Yes, we are recording this on Wednesday with those numbers just coming out, although people won't hear it till Thursday. So let's get to it. Headline inflation number. What does it mean for for us? You know, the growth rate of inflation has been falling for some time. Um, There's nothing too surprising. The core came a little bit less than what people thought, but it's the same story. The, The growth rate of inflation peaked last year. And now the some of the things that drive core inflation is really going to slow down. And this is all happening with a tight labor market still. So the constant drumbeat we've had here at Housing Wire is you do not need to create a job loss recession to bring a recession down, right? Uh, the headline CPI inflation data was 9% last year. Uh, it's down to 3%. Right. So you've had a very noticeable uh, downtrend on inflation with job openings over nine million, with jobless claims under uh, 300,000, with wage growth cooling off, you know, since the start of 2022. So hopefully, I think by now, because, you know, we've our, our, our mantra is the Fed's old and slow. But now they cannot keep on saying, well, entrenched inflation. We don't want the 1970s, you know. You can't do that anymore, right? You can't talk tough anymore. Or anything. It's that that story ended. So hopefully, they can realize it's time to change it to another aspect, right? Because uh, if if Fed members are still saying there's no progress made in inflation, no, okay, that that act's not going to work anymore. Um, um, and uh, the bond market tested the upper end of the range uh, that we saw at the highs earlier in the year, and it's bounced off of that. I think the 10-year yield now is down uh, uh, almost uh, uh, 20 basis points from the recent highs, or 20, 20, uh, 23 basis points. So uh, mortgage rates are, are, are getting better, and we're, stay, we're staying in that range that I thought we would, but uh, hopefully this is a wake-up call that, again, you, you I know the Fed is targeting 4.5% unemployment rate. I know John Williams of the Fed said uh, um, that's where he thinks the unemployment rate should go. That's still 
2.6 million people losing their jobs. You don't have to do that. You're going to have to endure. This is not the 1970s. Nobody's going to give you a badge of honor anymore. Those days are over with, right? Global pandemics are very inflationary in the start. Then the disinflation period happens. You don't need to create a job loss recession. In fact, the Fed was wrong. You can have the growth rate of inflation fall down even with a tight labor market. So you don't need to attack the American worker right now at this stage. So the 2.4 million people you're talking about losing their jobs, that's people who right now are working. So we're not talking about, we're, nowhere, we're nowhere close to that right now, correct? No, I mean, we're not, we're, our job reports are still positive. So uh, their target of a soft, um, and, and this, this, this was the concern I had last year. When the Federal Reserve says 1970s inflation, that means they need to have a job loss recession, right? Because if they're working off their old 70 models, they have to hike rates so much so fast to create a job loss recession for the labor supply to go up and wages go down and people spend less. We, we don't need to do that, right? We've, we've had a tight labor market we, uh, uh, under their own models, right? I'm using their own data against them right now. Job openings are over 9 million. Jobless claims are under 300,000. If you believe that wages accelerate inflation, the growth rate would be higher this year, not lower, right? Wage growth is slowing down on itself. You don't have to target the American worker for some fake badge of honor at this point, right? You just, you know, last last year when when they talked about, well, the Fed, we want as the Federal Reserve, this is where I, uh, I like the line crossed for me. We believe inflate our Fed funds rate should be core PCE, you know, and with their forecast of where it was, it looks like, you know, they were already there at four and a half percent. So they didn't need to hike anymore, but they kept on doing it. They kept on pushing it. Right. Then we had the banking crisis. They kept on pushing it. They kept on pushing it. We might get another rate hike. So that was a lie. So I think for me to try to explain, and, and I try to do this in the article, they believe now the market, they're so they're tighter now because headline inflation is falling. So the the rates, the real yields, as we call them, are higher than what they normally are. And they believe that is restrictive policy. Um, but again, the growth rate of inflation has fallen without labor being hit. You don't need to, you don't need to push it to that area. And I think that's, that's the fight that everyone is having with the Fed at this point. Uh, um, and, you know, they talk about a tightening, uh, credit conditions. They talk, you know, student loan debt payments are coming. There's all these things you don't need to do anything anymore. You shouldn't have hiked the last three times. We're good to go. You have to endure. There's nothing you can do about used car prices with chips. You know, there's there, you can't force people to sell their homes. Barkin says, no, oh, people aren't listing their homes. We don't know it. Oh, you've got to evolve to 21st century economics right here. You have to let go of the 1970s. It's just not the case. But I mean, from all all we can see, Logan, they are committed to another rate hike in a couple of weeks, correct? I mean, everything you just said is true, except that, I mean, that would they would have to really change what they've already said they're going to do. This is where I think the badge of honor in their eyes makes sense. They believe that their credibility to fight inflation has been questioned and that if they all passed off to the afterlife next year, if they created a job loss recession, they will be looked at as honorable people uh, wherever they land in the afterlife. Uh, and you don't need to do that. Now, if, if the growth rate of inflation was still accelerating and wages were accelerating, we would all be having a different conversation today. 
But that's not the case, right? And this is the history of global pandemics. This is why we always talk about the history of global pandemics. There's an inflationary period. There's a disinflation period, right? Uh, uh, there are certain things that rate hikes can't address. Um, and one of the things that will be beneficial for the next uh, six or 12 months, used car prices, chips, shortages. What, what is the Fed what, raising rates? What's that going to do You know, in, in that sense? Uh, these things look like they're going to be cooling down and will help core CPI. Uh, the Fed always talks about, we want to address uh, um, inflation, X housing. Okay, well, that's already cooling off without a job loss recession. So some of the things they've focused on uh, about inflation taking off or being interested, it's getting better without a recession. So you don't need to do this. Um, there is no badge of honor creating a job loss recession. Right. So uh, hopefully over time, they start to backtrack some of these things and the market feels more comfortable about this. And we get a soft landing in this sense. Um, and time will tell on that. But uh, uh, again, this trend has been here for months. Right. Uh, there's no reacceleration going on. And now some of the core inflation aspects are going to be slowing down on the data line. I mean, the housing market needs a soft landing from mortgage rates, right? I mean, you and I have talked about could mortgage rates go to 8%? Could mortgage rates, and, and in different formulations, given where the 10-year yield is, they could have gone a lot higher. So tell us, you know, mortgage rates in the next, for the next year. This is, this is the conflicting conversation. Um, a lot of people don't understand why mortgage rates aren't at 5% right now because the growth rate of inflation. So let me explain it through my eyes. I do the 10-year yield channel forecast. The 10-year yield and mortgage rates have been slow dancing. They are very romantic lovers since 1971. It doesn't stop. The spreads might keep them separate a little bit, but it's where the 10-year yield goes. Now, if we had 1970s inflation, mortgage rates would be 8 to 10% last year because inflation was very high last year. The bond market never believed in the 1970s inflation. That's why the 10-year yield uh, has a very hard time staying above 4%. If we did have 1970s inflation, mortgage rates would be 8 to 10% last year, because the 10-year yield would be north of five and a quarter. This is my line that I constantly say time and time again since this uh, episode. The bond market doesn't believe in the inflation, 1970s inflation. So mortgage rates aren't as high. But now the 10-year yield is pretty much kind of where growth and inflation are right now. The 10-year yield looks normal. In fact, it looks a, a little bit lower than what, what we're accustomed to. But if you just look at it as a 10-year yield and mortgage rates and the spreads and the inflation growth rate is slowing down over time, right, This will, it'll be more beneficial to... Uh, the housing market and the mortgage industry that everyone, including the Fed, realizes that the growth rate of inflation is falling. Uh, at some point, they say we're done. The next point is that they'll believe they'll cut. And then mortgage rates by itself should get better. The spreads should get better at that point. Usually the spreads get worse during a recession. It's terrible now. The only times in history that the mortgage spreads, the 10-year yield and 30-year fix were worse, was the recession of 1980 and 1982. That's how you know, stress the mortgage market is. But now, you know, the 10-year the yield channel, the forecast, everything kind of looks right. The next stage is hopefully, you know, the labor supply, hopefully the Fed doesn't get what it wants. We don't want the Fed to get what it wants. We don't want a job loss recession, right? And if you cannot manage an economic cycle without a job loss recession, okay, don't be a Federal Reserve member. Go to a hot dog stand, 
go sell ice cream, but don't, you know, don't, don't sit here, find a way to do this without saying, well, if I die, I just want to be known as, you know, I have fought inflation and millions of people lost their job. You know, you don't need to do that. Land the plane. There was a good plan last year about keeping, you know, the Fed funds rate at core PCE six, three, six, 12 months. And for some reason they broke away from that. And look, right? The growth rate of inflation has fallen by itself, even with a tighter labor market. So uh, hopefully, not only for now, but going out in the future, uh, this will be good for future Federal Reserve members because eventually everyone dies and people need to be replaced. And future Fed governors would understand things are a little bit different. And that's a positive, right, for the future because we don't need to you know, have the natural unemployment rate at 5% or millions of people lose their jobs to get, to get the growth rate of inflation down. Progress is being made. End of story, right? You can't do those lines anymore. Yes. Well, I, I just have to say there's always money in the hot dog stand. Okay. Sorry. Shout out to Arrested Development, one of my favorite shows. Um, but yeah, so we have a lot of other things to talk about, but I just have one more question about the Fed. And that is, who is it that the Fed listens to? If I mean, I think you, you have a, a lot of people right now saying enough is enough. You don't need this. So I mean, just just quickly, who who do they listen to that is spurring this part? You know, when I, when I think of the Fed, I think of the Fed, the bond traders, Wall Street, you know, and that's it. I think, you know, just to me, uh, the Fed always talks about credibility, credibility. So um, they did an excellent job in the previous expansion. We had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history, and the growth rate of inflation was stable. They did a wonderful job in reversing their course in 2018 when clearly inflation wasn't breaking out. They did a historical great job during the COVID-19 recovery model, right? Employment is full. People working are a good thing. Okay, so you're you're trying to fight inflation in a pandemic area. Okay, you 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 push rates super fast. But there becomes a point where you don't need to overstep. And that's, I think they're trying to talk to Wall Street, to bond traders, to government officials. They're trying to puff their chest out. This is why some of their comments, one week they'll say one thing, and another week they'll say nothing. Okay, you, you just have to endure. If the growth rate of inflation was accelerating higher, if we knew that rent inflation wasn't going down, Right. Because for me, if you need 1970s inflation, you need rent inflation to take off. And there's a reason why rent inflation has been very stable after 19 after the 1970s. And the global pandemics are so inflationary for rent. And then the disinflation rate happened. We have supply coming on. So there we have enough data now to just go, hey, it's over. Right. You don't have to talk tough. This is why some of the talked the tough talking right now is getting frustrating. Because it, it confuses the markets and and uh, employment is a good thing. People working are a good thing. You don't need to target people at this stage. You just have to endure. Uh, um, and uh, I, I I'm hoping that over time, especially in the next six months, the core inflation comes down and we'll be okay. We can manage this a little bit better. Uh, um, but again, you you get these comments by some Fed officials. Oh, inflation's too strong. We have to. Uh, the labor market's too good. People working, remember what they're saying to you. You as an American citizen, they're saying your wage growth is too much. You don't deserve this, right? That's what they're saying. So the growth rate of wages is already slowing, right? So we don't need to address it 
at this stage, we've done the heavy work, land the plane, right? Just at some point, let it go and stop targeting 4.5% unemployment rate, right? Just, I know that was the forecast, let it go, right? Okay, well, let's talk about the tracker data. So, you know, inventory and then purchase apps. Let's talk about those because, boy, last, uh, you know, last weekend we got the Altos research data, again, is the most up-to-date data on inventory across the country, almost real time. And what did it show us, Logan? We had a hat trick, right? We had a hat trick, which if I would have told anybody this November 9th, 2022, this would happen. Everyone would throw every pie, lettuce, tomato, everything they could at my face. Last week, we had week-to-week declines in active listings. We had week-to-week declines in new listings. And then the trifecta is that the year-over-year active listings is negative and the year-over-year new listings data is negative. You put them all together. If I would have said that would have been the case, November 9th, 2022, everyone would have laughed at me. Nobody would have, nobody would have believed me. But that's what happened because what's, what's occurred is demand has stabilized, right? So home sales aren't crashing anymore. If there was an affordability crisis and home sales are crashing, we would see it in the data, right? We would see the waterfall. Since demand has stabilized, that means that the growth rate of inventory slows because mortgage rate lockdown is not real. Um, so we've had more positive purchase application data prints than negative. And because of that, the slope of the inventory data is very slow this year. It also took the longest time ever recorded in history to get to the seasonal bottom. So we're negative year over year, but I always caution people last year was so abnormal, like historically abnormal. We never had a time in history where we worked from the lowest active listings ever recorded in history. We had the biggest mortgage rate spike ever recorded in history, and it facilitated the biggest one-year sales crash ever recorded in history all in one year. So the fact that inventory is negative year over year, just take it in context to what happened, especially in the second half of uh, uh, 2022. What were the exact numbers from last week? Because we've had two weeks now of really low numbers. And like you said, it took it, was it April when we finally found the bottom, the seasonal bottom, and then it's barely gone up since then. And in fact, the the active listings that we have now are the same as at one of the weeks that we had in January, right? So, so here's, here's, here's some more crazy data. So usually in January, we have the seasonal bottom, because winter is, is, is listings are the lowest. And then Active listings grow February, March, April, May. Today, on July 10th, we still have active listings below the second week of January, which is 472,000. Uh, we're at 465,000 right now, roughly, on active listings. This is single family. Back in 2015, we had almost 1.2 million active listings this week. Uh, the new listings data which has been declining for four weeks in a row, mild declines, is down year over year. It's been trending negative uh, for 12 months, which means for 12 months now, uh, we have the lowest levels of new listings data ever recorded in history. 58,000 people last week listed their homes. Uh, Those are 
people selling their homes with low mortgage rates and buying ones with higher mortgage rates. Um, but again, that number has fallen. And again, one of the reasons why I'm not a mortgage rate lockdown person is that I have to believe fundamentally that when you have the biggest mortgage rate increase after a 40% home price crashes, there are some people who can't afford to move and that the affordability issue is real. So that prevents sellers from being buyers because they can't afford. Um, so in this context, uh, uh, it, it, everything we had last year has kind of reversed, you know, and it's not like home sales are booming this year. No, I mean, existing home sales are still at record lows, uh, but it just stabilized. And I think that, again, one of the things, one of the reasons why we do the tracker, one of the reasons why I focused on everything on since November 9th. After November 9th, the whole housing dynamics changed. And it's interesting, uh, today there was a, 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 a you know, Fortune magazine was talking about the one economist that was talking about 20% home price declines this year. Uh, and I understand what his model was. His model was that home sales collapsed. And because home sales collapse, prices then follow. That's the, you know, well, you know, prices follow sales volume. Sales volume stopped declining. Active inventory is still low. This is why when you track housing data, you have to track all the variables together. You have to track them every single day. You have to track them every single week because when the market turns on you, you can't wait seven months later and go, what's going on here, right? Uh, that's why we do the weekly tracker. That's why we created the weekly tracker. So all of you get to see what I do uh, uh, every single day and every single week. So I don't want to be the guy to come in July you know, 14th and say, oh, Hey, guess what? Uh, I, I don't understand why home prices are crashing. I thought, well, we do, we have data here, so we we do not want to be what what do we not want to be, Sarah? Old and slow. Yeah, we don't want to be old and slow, right? So and we don't want to be the troll. We want to be the detective, not the troll. Yes, yes. We don't want to be. Yes, yes. That's always the number one thing. Be the detective, <laughs> not the troll. So forward-looking data gets better, and active listings are still near all-time lows under any historical precedents that we've seen in the last five hundred years. Prices crashing in that environment, not much history on it, right? If home sales kept on crashing, right, you got something, right? We, we saw what happened with month-to-month -month, uh, pricing in the second half of 2022, but that was the biggest home sale crash ever. So I, I there's a part of me that sits here and thinks, oh my God, we've had the best test case ever recorded in history for forward-looking data, and it passed with flying colors. And watching people start to go, oh, What's going on? It's like months, you know, six, six, seven months later after the fact. And this is why you have to track data daily, weekly, religiously. You don't focus on one year forecasts where all the variables change and you just go with the data. And the, the live active listings data is very key in that. And also the forward looking purchase application data and also the 10 year yield. You got to put them all together. You get to visually see a, a historical change in housing economics in the United States of America, starting from November 9th. And all of you in Housing Wire were able to witness this. And for some, like a historian like me, it has just been beautiful to watch and for us to document everything out there. Well, that is. So what do purchase applications tell you right now? So we talked about inventory. We've talked about mortgage rates. Yeah. Purchase apps today, um, plus 2% week to week. Um, I'm always mindful of any data weekly around holidays, especially for purchase apps. So uh, I, I adjust everything. And when we look at purchase application data as of right now, since November 9th, right? You, Sarah, am I particular with my dates or what? You know, um, 20 positive prints, 
since November 9th, 12 negative prints. Year to date, 14 positive prints, 12 negative prints. So year to date data, not much is going on. There's no direction. This is why sales aren't growing anymore. But since November 9th, when, when mortgage rates had that first move lower from 7.37% to 5.9, it gave us three months of positive data that gave us that one really big existing home sale price. Not much has happened after that. Not much has happened in purchase apps. This is why sales volumes are extremely low for the existing home sale market. That market is still in a recession in terms of demand. Uh, the builders are working from a different uh, format because they have sub 6% mortgage rates. So they, they can grow their sales. They're up 20% year over year and their sale levels are just very low anyway. Uh, so considering how fast home prices have gone up and how fast mortgage rates have gone up to, to even have this stabilization in demand shows the what I always thought to be the dual household income buyer profile in America. Uh, that's why I always thought years 2020 to 2024 were going to be so much different household formation, dual household incomes good replacement buyers, and it took the biggest affordability hit in that 4 million level, still right now, still held up without any real benefit to affordability. Uh, it's not like home prices are collapsing. It's not like mortgage rates are falling. Uh, we're still at elevated levels in both, and uh, we still are keeping that uh, existing home sales monthly reports over 4 million. So that's just a testament to the dual household incomes in the United States uh, of America. That is crazy. So from your perspective on purchase apps, is that about what you would expect right now? I mean, I would I would say everyone probably expected another negative year uh, uh, on the year to date. I don't think anybody was thinking positive. But again, this is why when rates fell and purchase application got data got noticeably better, you go with that. And I think that's the big question mark for everyone, right? We've never, I mean, it has been so long since we've had to deal with 7% rates to go to 6%, but it's much different now because home prices are up so much. So I think that was always the question mark. People just assume that the mortgage rates have to come down to 5% for the data to stabilize. But in November, December, January, those were like really clear messages that there's a there's a bottom formation of, of demand. And again, how I try to explain this, because this is a legit question everyone asks, if six to seven percent mortgage rates were crashing housing last year, why isn't it crashing this year? And I always go back to the the big theory of mind. After 1996, we always have at least four million uh, home buyers on the monthly sales prints because the people that are buying homes now are kind of the better income profile. So they've been able to handle eight percent mortgage rates, seven, six, five, four, whatever. They're always there. So now that we're at this level. The affordability indexes don't really impact this buyer as much as the buyers that were, you know, at six and a half million to get down to four. So that's the best way to explain it. And this is why I've always talked about that four million line. Even during the COVID-19 recovery model uh, in summer, when I said, hey, listen, it's really rare to get under four million. So as rates, rates were going lower, demand should pick up. We bounced off the four million. Then much different this time, because mortgage rates aren't sub four percent anymore. They're they're six to seven percent. So it's a grind. Uh, it's an unfortunate grind, but again, you, you do pay the piper when you have home prices escalate out of control, but at least we have enough data now to find there is some buyer demand between rates between six and 7%. And this is why purchase apps are positive year to date. So we, we 
provide a lot of data. You provide a lot of data in your articles on housing wire and real trends. We have a ton of data. And I got a question from a podcast listener that I wanted to um, give to you. So this is from Greg Stroud, who is um, a realtor at Vision Realty Partners in Nashville. And he had, um, he's reached out a couple times and he, he had a question here, like when he's looking at his local market. So, you know, of course we do um, we have a lot of uh, information for people, but he's like, which data points are really important? If you're a realtor, like in your local market, is it active listings, new new listings or days on market? What do you think is the most important thing to watch there? So Altos Research actually has new listings, pending uh, sales uh, uh, and median prices for every zip code in America. Not just for cities, but every zip codes. And in this light, if you have new listings and the pending uh, sales, right, or the sales that go immediate, you know, that's the good thing with Altos Research. If that demand gets better, that means there's demand coming in there. With the days on market, that's that's always been my thing. So that's I use the NAR data. Um, when the days on market are at a teenager, it just means there's too many people chasing too few homes. Uh, um, when the days on market start to grow up, that means demand is weak enough or supply is high enough to keep people, you know, uh, it takes longer to sell a home. But if you're looking for your local area, Altos Research has such an unfair advantage. It's Sarah, it's ridiculous how much information we have here at Housing Wire. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, you can see the immediate sales right now to see that, you know, the supply is coming there, but it's also being bought right away. And then the, that also prevents the days on market from really growing. So uh, you get to really get to see your your specific zip code in a fashion to where you know it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. And this is the advantage of Housing Wire, Altos Research coming together. Uh, we believe we have the best access tools for data, and we believe we have the best analysts to talk about it as well. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, we're here to tell you the story of what data tells us. We don't care about ideological tastes. We just basically run off numbers because why? Numbers are the closest thing to the handwriting of God. So, and I just have to say, I did not run that by you ahead of time. We, I was not expecting an Altos uh, recommendation. We own Altos Research now. Sarah, I went. I it was Christmas for me. It was Christmas for me when I knew Altos. I'm thinking, you have to be <laughs> kidding me. I have the cheat code and the superpowers. There's no, there's no way anyone's going to upend us ever, right? Right. We have access to data that the people who are old and slow don't have. So again, I, I, I let me let me make the case for you now. We have economists right now that don't know what's going on with housing, and we were talking about this on November 9th. Everyone could see this. There's nobody in this country that was talking about, okay, well, starting from November 9th, the forward-looking data are getting better. Nobody's going to, everyone's going to ignore this. And that has filtered all its way to July, right? And now we have people going, I don't know what's going on here, right? Because we want to track forward-looking data with Altos Research and with I do, what I do. We put those two together. It's an unfair advantage there. It's just not fair to, to, to have this in, in for one company. I know. I know you love this data. And Greg, thanks for sending in that question. You guys can send in questions, you listeners, to uh, to Logan or to me at any time. I'm Sarah at hwmedia.com. 
Logan at hwmedia.com. We love uh, fan mail. We also love uh, listener questions. And I have quite a few people saying that um, I must be wearing you down on the mortgage rate lockdown. Um, so I'm excited about that. I know I many people think we just it's a semantic difference. It's not actually that you don't agree with me when it comes to what I'm saying. Sarah, if I, if I believe in the mortgage rate lockdown, that means everything I've done in housing for the last 12 years goes out the door. <laughs> You're so, so dramatic. There's this, there, there, there is no, there is absolutely, I cannot find any data to show that lower mortgage rates create more active listings. It doesn't occur. Mike Simonson also agrees with me. Uh, we might talk about it in a different way, but it's the same principle. Lower rates can boost demand up, but it doesn't actually create active listings to grow. We've seen the data since after 2010. For me, after 2010 is very important because that's after the qualified mortgage comes in. And the only times we've seen inventory grow is when demand gets weaker, days on markets grow. So the whole mortgage rate lockdown is really just a marketing theme to get you know somebody to push down rates so demand can pick up. That makes sense. Demand picking up, but the active listings, and another good example right here, very quick, is that in uh, 2021, uh, people said, oh, nobody listed their homes in uh, COVID, so mortgage rates are really low. There's going to be a flood of listings coming in because uh, everybody who couldn't sell their homes are going to sell their homes now, and home prices are going to crash because lower mortgage rates would bring more listings. New listings data was trending at all-time lows then. Okay, there's a certain dynamic. Maybe there's one year, Sarah, in the future that lower mortgage rates can create more active listings. Maybe that'll happen. But until that happens, I cannot even put it into the variable equation, right? Because I don't see it in the data, so I can't go with it. I brought up the possibility of it happening last year because the three variables I would need to have the mortgage rate lockdown discussion happened. But again, it, it, it didn't pull itself out. But this is where I think it's sort of a semantic difference because I'm not saying the mortgage rate lockdown that more uh, that lower rates would have more listings, but that at some point higher rates lock down new people uh, listing their homes for sale. You see how that's different? And the semantic world versus my world, higher rates have been the only thing that we've seen create more active listings. They're just saying, until that changes, you're asking me to go against my code. Sarah, you're, you're trying to take my charts away. You're trying to take my code away. You know, we're, we're at this stage in the relationship where you are trying to get into areas that you don't belong into. <laughs> that is my job. Okay, so my charts and my code and my models are, are off limits. You can't get in. You shall not pass, Sarah Wheeler. Uh, okay, so this is where it's it's awesome that I'm actually kind of your boss. So, you know, we'll, we'll just leave that conversation for, for another time. But Logan, we are out of time. Thank you so much for uh, walking us through all the things that are going on. And we'll talk to you in a couple of days. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.